the Empire Podcast this week. We see in the new year with joy, or more accurately, we see in the new year with joy director David O. Russell, plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is flattered that Radiohead covered our Bond theme for Spectre. Just weren't enough beeps and bleeps to make it authentic, guys. Better luck next time. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the first Empire Podcast of 2016. How was your Christmas break? Did you do anything nice? Did you see any films? Did you listen to our Star Wars spoiler special, perchance? If you did, you'll know, as we do, that it wasn't Captain Nida who cameos in The Force Awakens due to his having been killed in The Empire Strikes Back. I'm blaming James Dyer for that one. Yeah, James is the Star Wars guy. Mm. And I believe what he tells me. Oh, that's where you went wrong. So that's where we went wrong. Uh, Anyway, we've got loads more podcasts to come this year, including our 200th podcast, which is going to be very exciting, very, very special, we hope. So look out for tentative plans to come around that one, Uh, which means we're going to make loads more mistakes over the next 50 or so podcasts uh, this year. Uh, And this week, to help me make those mistakes, our two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our geek queen, a lady whose New Year's resolution involves staying 50 yards away from Jared Padalecki at all times. Well, it's not so much a resolution, more of a legally binding court order. It's <laughs> it's Helen O'Hara. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And that is slander right there. That is absolute slander. I think you'll find the slander is um, not a real... Uh, it's no, Which one's written down? That's I libel. Yeah, that's right. Well, I wrote it down, <laughs> technically speaking. Okay. So I wrote it down and then I read it out. So it's slander and libel. like to cover all the bases. <laughs> and then, like Christmas, but not like Dr. Christmas Jones, a treat that comes just once a year. Uh, it's our West Coast editor, a man who's so dangerous he has two identities. Uh, some know him as a Spanish secret agent, Jaime Blanco. We know him as James White. Hello, Hello England. You? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Is your New Year's resolution uh, as West Coast editor of Empire Magazine to move San Diego closer to LA so the commute for Comic-Con is like five minutes? Uh, yes, yes. I do plan to move Well Vagina much closer. In fact, I think I shall move it just down the road from my apartment so it's easier. Can we not just have Comic-Con in your apartment? I mean, I've been in your apartment. It's, it's, it's boxy, but I think we could get 150,000 people in there. I think that could work, yeah. I would be... I mean... Like, mathematically, that would be fascinating to see. I, I just have to go and live in a TARDIS, maybe. It, it could work. <laughs> we have a solution. It could happen. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, let the authorities have allowed you to remain in the country long enough for you to come in and do the podcast, which you do pretty much this time every year. But, you know, what did you do over Christmas? What did you guys watch? Did you watch anything? Did you see Sherlock? What What, what were you watching? I did see Sherlock. Uh, I saw... I, I thought it was really good where it was just Sherlock and John insulting each other and, and maybe not so good in the other bits uh, I saw and then there were none which is my favourite Agatha Christie novel and I thought it was a good adaptation of that I have that on iPlayer I haven't got around to watching it yet okay but um, I'm very intrigued because Sam Neill's in it he is I like Agatha Christie yeah you'll you'll enjoy it I think in okay, that case good um, and I listened to a lot of Hamilton again oh Blanco, what did you do? I was really up to date. I watched the film Made in Dagenham, which I believe <laughs> came out in roughly 2011, 2012, because my mother had recorded it on her DVR in 2013 and hadn't watched it yet. So, you know, I'm really with Up to it. the minute news there from Topical. James. <laughs> That's amazing. Is that literally the only thing you watched over Christmas? No, I watched a few things. I watched uh, the Doctor Who Christmas special, which was silly and fun, and then it became emotional and fun, mm. and that was, you know, pretty good. I mm-hmm. thought that was the best 
Doctor Who Christmas special in Forever. I, yeah, it was it was pretty great. I mean, yeah. It's, it's what happened good. in it? Tell me. Well, let me see. Uh, River no, Song showed River, up. River Song, that's what happened. River yeah. Song, River song yeah. happened. Yeah. River Song. Yeah. Okay, I don't know who that is. It's well. his wife. Oh, right. Who? Um, Alex Kingston plays River no, Song. you should have said yes when I said who. Okay. That's cause, I'm sorry. Anyway. Uh, would anyone watch Making a Murderer, which is the, the thing that has got uh, the, the internet by the cojones at the moment? I did. That's the new Netflix documentary uh, series. It is extraordinary. Um, I Back when I was a lawyer, I did some interning uh, in America on death penalty cases for, for a, a, a defence firm in Houston, Texas. It's always a fun conversation starter. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so some of it rang awfully true. Um, and, and shouldn't have come as much of a surprise and yet here we are and it was it was surprising and it is a terrific it's basically like a TV version of Serial I don't think it's quite as good as The Jinx if you've had the chance to see that which was mind-blowing um, it wasn't quite that uh, impactful but it was I, I would say better than Serial less good than The Jinx Wow uh, Right, we have some questions First questions of the year and here's Ooh. the first one uh, from at Paul Webby Webb. He says, with The Hateful Eight coming out this week, could you all rank your favourite QT films in order of quality? Ooh. Yeah. Now, is this as director, presumably? Oh, God, yeah. Okay. You mean you yeah. mean Destiny Turns on the Radio is going to be left out? That's Leave It Out, um, sadly. And can we leave out four rooms? Uh, four, mm, Go on. That's Leave Out Four Rooms. And Sin City. Yes. Just like movies. Guest directing stuff. Let's okay. leave out Sin City. Uh, let's leave out Four Rooms. Let's leave out movies he wrote but didn't direct. So okay. True Romance and uh, Natural Born Killers and, and, and bits of Crimson okay. Tide. So I'm going to say number one for me is actually still Reservoir Dogs. That's interesting. Number two would be Kill Bill Volume 1. That's interesting. Number three would probably be Pulp Fiction. Then let's say Kill Bill 2. Then Jackie Brown... Then Inglorious Bastards, Ooh. then Hateful Eight, then Django. No, that's harsh on Django. <laughs> uh, I don't like it that much. <laughs> Fair enough. And Grindhouse like lasts by a really long way. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll go Death Proof rather than Grindhouse. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go Death Proof as as uh, his movie. I haven't seen Hateful Eight yet. Sadly, I really want to see it. Big Quentin Tarantino fan. Um, yeah. When I when I was when I first saw Reservoir Dogs, it I blew my tiny mind, mm. and uh, I you know voraciously consumed the soundtrack and the screenplay, and you know went through a, a period. As I think lots of people did at the time of of trying to copy Tarantino quite a lot in terms of you know you would write stuff, but I think probably a lot of us have written stuff in really dreadful sub Tarantino dialogue. But then a lot of films with dreadful sub Tarantino <laughs> dialogue got made around that time. But. Uh, there was that time you uh, cut the policeman's ear off. <laughs> While listening to a pop class. That has never been proven, okay? <laughs> no, it's it's true, it's true, yeah. Chris. A one-ear bill, we call him. We've talked about this capacity for confession. You know, it's fine, you statute need to of limitations. Watch, you need, it doesn't apply to murder. Or it wasn't murder. Things. Well, fine then. He had something on his ear. I think yeah. we've just found making a murderer series too. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even a coerced confession this time. Spoiler. Oh, well, I'll happily tell you about people I've stabbed. It's all fine. It's all good. Blanco. Quentin uh, Tarantino. 
Yeah, uh, a vaguely a vaguely similar list to Helen's, but I'm going with Pulp Fiction first. Ooh, then why is it? Why is that? Why? I just love the complexity of it, the way everything links together, the way the characters meet, the way the music works on it. I know Reservoir Dogs has a similar sort of idea, but I just think Pulp Fiction's use of music and dialogue all together and everything is just fantastic. I love it. Uh, Kill Bill, I'm technically treating as one big thing. I'm, tre- I'm, I'm, I'm going to disqualify that. Together. I'm going to disqualify that. On the IMDb, it's two separate films. You're going to have to choose. All right, fine. Kill Bill 1, then Inglorious Bastards, then Kill Bill 2. Okay. Jackie Brown, Django Untamed, and then much in the style of Constantine from uh, Muppets <laughs> Most Wanted, Space Bar, Space Bar, Space Bar, Space Bar, <laughs> Grand House, Death Proof. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Poor old Death Proof. It's at the bottom. Nobody loves it. But what I'm surprised by both of you is that you've put Jackie Brown, which a lot of people uh, who I think are just trying to be a bit hip about it, uh, put that at the top of their QT lists. Yeah, I think it um, it didn't blow me away at the time, but it's one of those ones where every time I watch it, I like it more. Mm. So it's crept up the list a bit for me. It's got amazing moments in it, Jackie yeah. Brown. It has the... Uh, oh, God, can we really talk about spoilers for a film that came out in 1997? I think it was 1997. Mm. Uh, probably. But there's, there's, there's a couple of murders come out of the blue, uh, which still have the, 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 the power to... Uh, shock and stun and in one case it is played for laughs mm. uh, it's quite funny uh, Sam Jackson is amazing in that film there's that great shot where he kills someone uh, in one shot one long take uh, I think people will know the one I'm talking about De Niro's fantastic and Brid- Bridget Fonda is great now please come out of retirement Bridget Fonda it's so good that Pam you know, Greer Pam Greer of course I mean it's just you know Robert Forster Michael Keaton playing the same character he played in Out of Sight you know it's got so much going for it the, the dialogue which is an old Tarantino obviously it's, it's Elmore Leonard for the most part is is just phenomenal so yeah I mean it's it's amazing but am I one of those hipsters who puts it at the top of my QT list slightly diminishing I think the, the impact of his first two movies no I'm not um, <laughs> so, for me yeah it's Reservoir Dogs uh, then Pulp Fiction which is you know still amazing Although it has too many longers, uh, and I'm, I wonder if retrospectively, the the impact of the Harvey Keitel direct line adverts has diminished Pulp Fiction <laughs> irrevocably. Uh, you know, it, it, it's no fault of Pulp Fiction, it's no fault of Quentin Tarantino's that those adverts exist, uh, but they do exist, and some part of me blames that film, and I <laughs> I can't help but to deduct a point from it. I feel very arbitrary at the moment. I feel like Dumbledore giving up the points at the end of the year. <laughs> but that's that's the way I feel. I, I saw it for the first time actually uh, this Christmas because living where I do, they don't show it in America. Probably for good reason. There probably would be some sort of riot. Uh, but <laughs> my 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 question would have to be: Does it just count as as parody, as homage? Would would Tarantino not have to have signed off on it in some way? I, I I'm baffled by these efforts. If you don't know what we're talking about, because obviously some people don't live in England. Uh, who listen to this podcast, there is a an insurance company called Direct Line. Uh, and for the last year or so, they've been running adverts in which Harvey Keitel, the Harvey Keitel, actual Harvey Keitel, uh, reprises his role as the wolf 
from Pulp Fiction, the fixer who comes in and fixes things in the Bonnie situation. And the the, the gag is that lots of people have, have things have gone wrong with their their house has been burgled or their car is broken down or whatever. And uh, Winston Wolf comes in and goes, "Hi, Winston Wolf, I fix things." And they they get terrified of him because they think he's going to have them killed. And he goes, "No, no, no, you're insured through a direct line, so I'm going to take you to a safe house while your house is repaired." Or yeah, here's your new car, and then they drive away to the sounds of some you know surf rock you know gotta eat I guess but it's it's kind of it does it does baffle me a little bit mm-hmm. uh, it is a bit of a coup for them getting Harvey Keitel but you know it is, it is a strange one so anyway Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction uh, I love Inglorious Bastards I'm going to put that number three I haven't uh, I haven't seen Hateful Eight full disclosure I haven't seen Hateful Eight then Jackie Brown uh, then Kill Bill Volume 2 for me Ooh. Kill Bill Volume 2 which I think is far superior to Kill Bill Volume 1 uh, although Kill Bill Volume 1 does have that amazing fight scene at the end uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 and then <laughs> Space Bar 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 Four Rooms then Space Bar Space Bar Space Bar Space Bar Death Proof which again has that amazing Kurt Russell performance in it but Did you leave out Django? I did leave out Django Okay After Kill Bill Volume 1 Delete 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 Kill Bill Volume No no Kill Bill Volume 2 Django Kill Bill Volume 1 and then All right. we'll, we'll go through the space bar shenanigans again. But that's that's where I am. That's where I am. Fine. With that, we'll let you know next week's show or paid for late ranks uh, in that for me. Uh, here's another question then from Bob Coop. Uh, because it's the first podcast of the year, and we're excited about the year. So uh, he has asked, what's the film you're least excited about this year? I want to turn it around a little bit and throw it at you guys. I want to ask about the films you're most excited about this year. Because, you know, every, every day is Christmas Eve at Empire. We're always excited about stuff. So what are you excited about? Hello, my name is Helen. I'm a self-parody. <laughs> and the film I'm most excited about is Captain America, <laughs> colon, Civil War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's this film? Tell me I, I just It's a little uh, kind of art highest project, a lot uh-huh. of like Oscar nominees in there. Hence the, 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 the sort of the secretary, the subtitle. The subtitle, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah which, which as we all know is the sign of an art house movie. <laughs> and uh, it's basically a story of an internecine conflict uh, between mm-hmm. a group of people who, who really love each other a lot, but they come to blows over a sort of political situation. Mm-hmm. A third party comes into the middle of it, a, a newcomer from, from a faraway land, Ooh. and and, and further complicates matters and oh. uh, I, I just think it'll be a really thought-provoking piece that looks at how we live today oh, Phil's if gonna, we are superheroes this sounds amazing Phil's going to love it I just hope there are no more Marvel movies this year I mean that stuff really just gets oh, my goat crazy isn't oh, it Marvel Marvel um, that sounds great doesn't it is, is that your number one film are you uh, that's the one I'm most excited about if I'm honest yeah okay. um, I mean I'm obviously looking forward to the likes of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them I am looking forward to Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice I mean it's out on my birthday that's probably a sign and, and Hail Caesar is the other big 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 one that I'm very excited about wow okay and do you want to take the least excited thing? There's nothing. I mean, you know, there's some there's some films that on paper are not ringing my bells. Um, there's a Top Cat Begins, I believe. Yeah, apparently it's a uh, sequel slash prequel to last year's really successful Top Cat film uh, that apparently uh, covers how Top Cat gets the gang together. So it will be basically Batman Begins just with Top Cat. Is it a sequel to Top? Sorry, there was a Top Cat movie. 
Yes, there was a Top Cat movie. Was it last year? Was it the year before? Might have been the year before. Might have been the year before. Yeah. It, it didn't oh, make I remember a the sporting special with this. <laughs> it, it didn't make a huge impact, if, if we're honest. There, um, there was a reason for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Th- this one, of course, you know, will, will like Christopher Nolan's movie, finish with Top Cat uh, killing an enemy, uh, <laughs> uh, leaving an enemy on a speeding train to die. Spoiler alert. Sorry, Top Cat fans. Wow. That's that's pretty amazing. Ooh, um, isn't there an X Men Apocalypse this year? There is an X Men Apocalypse. This I- year. I'm excited about that. I'm wary, obviously, of what they've done to poor Oscar Isaac's lovely hair. But apart from that, you know, it looks like it. What about what they've done to his lovely face? Oh, it just it's upsetting. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> but isn't it? Hasn't it been funny watching everybody who'd failed to watch Inside Lewin Davis go nuts for Oscar Isaac this Christmas? All these people suddenly going, "Who is this? Why do I not know more about him?" It's it's not. It's, it's, it's like not get on the train, people. Get on the bandwagon. Yeah, it's not as if he's been hiding his light under a bushel. No. Oscar Isaac has been brilliant for a long, long time in a lot of some ropey movies, and he's often the best thing in them. Sucker Punch comes to mind. Yeah. But you know, last year he was phenomenal. He was great in the most violent year. He was one of the best things about The Force Awakens. Ex Machina. Uh, Ex Machina. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis was obviously a couple of years ago, but he's great in that. If you haven't checked it out. Uh, uh, there was that Show Me a Hero, the uh, mm. the yeah, HBO, HBO miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, fantastic in that as well. He was just he's just great. He, you know, he what a guy, what a guy, what a what a great guy. Blanco, what yes. films are you most excited about this year? Well, like with Helen and a certain other person I can mention who is sitting in this pod booth to my right, I have my obsessions. Uh, my personal obsession is the Pixar movies, a bit like our Emma, and. I am uh, most excited about Finding Dory, which is the yes. uh, the new Pixar film. I realise people have issues with Pixar making sequels and they think they should be doing original work, which I can understand when you see things like Inside Out and even The Good Dinosaur. But I think Team Nemo did such a good job on the original. I think there's such feeling and and anticipation for this one. I think it's going to be great. I hope it's great. I want it to be great. Please be great. <laughs> oh, and something else actually, Moana, uh, speaking of animation, which is the new Disney animation one uh, starring The Rock yes. as a Polynesian sea god. And I think with songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Have I mentioned I'm a fan of Hamilton? I don't think you have. Really? Oh, I, I should have done that. More than four or five times in an episode. <laughs> Surprised none of you John Wickers have uh, mentioned John Wick 2. <gasps> John Wick 2! It's brilliant. I did watch it with my mum over Christmas, by the way, the first one. Not obviously John Wick 2, they haven't finished that yet. And uh, and she said it was super violent, but she also laughed quite a lot. So, Okay, yeah, I'm a raging cliche, so I'm going to say that, that Civil War movie you, mm. you mentioned, that sounds quite good. Yeah. Um, relevant to my interests would you say I mean you know it's a bit of a departure for you Chris but I feel like you know you could you could branch out that way okay um, I'm a big fan of hospital movies so Marvel's Strange Doctor I'm looking forward to that one as yeah, well uh, sure. later in the year um, but there's tons of other great stuff coming out there's a lot of great stuff inside the issue there's a lot of great stuff inside to 2016 um, I'm looking forward to there's another Lonely Island movie which is coming out uh, later this year Lonely Island's the, the comedy troupe with Andy Samberg and Akiva Schaefer and, and Norma Taccone Uh who were so great in SNL for so many years, but also uh, are largely responsible for Hot Rod, which is one of the funniest films mm. of all time. Wonderful Hot Rod. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say that. And I didn't get challenged. This is amazing. <laughs> yes, it's one of the funniest films of all time. You should definitely watch it. Cool beans. Um, it's great. I'm really looking forward to that. And, and the blockbusters, I mean, I'm looking forward to The Nice Guys, Shane Black's new yeah. movie, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, 1970s, wisecracking, buddy comedy, ultra-violent, brilliant Shane Black dialogue, 
what not to love. It's also apparently is at a Christmas. Uh, someone pointed out there's a Christmas tree in one of the trailers. <laughs> so, yes. Um, and yeah, then little things as well. Uh, the small art house movies I'm looking forward to, like Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> um, yes. Which I am genuinely looking forward to. The, and the trailer actually kind of got me for that one. I was I was excited by that. It looks fun. Lots, yeah. lots of gold bloom in the trailer. Like if you have gold bloom in your movie, front and center in the trailer. Thanks very much. Yeah, lots of gold bloom, which is always a good thing. I'm really intrigued. I have to say, by the Magnificent Seven. Really? The I mean, remake I mean, that. really? Hmm. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean, and I, you know, I, I can see where you're coming from. But no, I mean, I'm intrigued by it. And uh, Ben Wheatley's Free Fire. Yes. Which comes out. Ben Wheatley will have two movies this year to make up for the fact he didn't have a movie out last I year. I think we're, we're, we should say at this point some movies that we've seen um, are no longer anticipating, even though they're not out yet. That's a good so, point. High Rise, we happen to have seen. That's why we haven't mentioned it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Big Short, The Revenant, Creed, you know, Creed, 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 which Creed. you know is a is a movie that I have been looking forward to for a long, long time. And if you've read my review in Empire, you'll know what I think about it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, that's. It's no longer anticipated for me. For yeah. starting out next week, but yeah, High Rise, High Rise is great. But I'm really looking forward to Free Fire, which is which will be Ben Wheatley's second movie of the year, and it's a Reservoir Dogsy movie about a an arms deal that goes wrong in a warehouse between a, a bunch uh, a bunch of unsavory types, and it all goes to hell in a handbasket very very quickly. And a great great cast: Brie Larson, Charlotte Copley, Army Hammer, Killian Murphy, Jack Rayner, Michael Smiley phenomenal cast all killing each other it's going to be great we should mention Room as well and also um, there's a little sort of kind of a spy thriller out at the end of the year uh, it's about this this small gang of of daring dare doers um, <laughs> I've, I've run out of words there sure that's the one um, who, who have to infiltrate uh, a, a government uh, organisation and steal the plans to its uh, to its new weapon system which is called a Death Star um, so Death that's, Star yeah, yeah it's going under the name Rogue One but I don't believe it has any connection to the X-Men so uh, that should be a, an interesting uh, that could be good little film yeah yeah um, uh, going back to when you were talking about The Magnificent Seven which of course has Chris Pratt in it I am um, very excited about Passengers, yes. a new sci-fi film which has Jennifer mm-hmm. Lawrence and Chris Pratt. And frankly, I think it's because the spaceship is going to be powered by their charisma alone. And I think it's going to be. I think that could be great. That yeah. it's a script that's been floating around for a long time. People love it. It had a hell of a time getting made. But now you've got Pratt, you've got Lawrence, you've got Ma- you've got Michael Sheen in it. I think that could be something to watch out for. I think it could be a little surprise. You guys excited about uh, the giant movies this year? So the BFG. Yes. A Monster Calls, which I'm, yes. I'm hoping it would be fantastic. I just read the book again over Christmas. What a phenomenal book. Cannot wait for that one. I mean, there are tons and tons of movies out this year, and most of them look very good. Most Midnight Special is another one. Definitely. Um, uh, Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. We There's, get Jason Bourne back in our lives. We get Jason Bourne back in our lives. We get a new Ghostbusters, which I'm very, very intrigued by. Um, Paul Feig and this all-female cast, including Christina Hemsworth, I believe, <laughs> joins that all-female cast. There's so, so many movies this year. It's so hard to choose. It's gonna, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, it's going to be a great year. Definitely. Okay. Right. If you want to have your question read out on the Emperor Podcast, and why wouldn't you, quite frankly, uh, you can do so several ways. You can send us uh, questions on Twitter, where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com, or you can Facebook us, where we're Empire Magazine. Okay, dokie. Time now for some movie news. Some stuff happened over Christmas uh, that we should probably talk about. 
briefly Radiohead did a Bond theme which was uh, unexpected we were joking about it in the podcast and that I now feel really sorry for that poor guy who bet 15 grand on Radiohead although remember it was they don't think they actually took the bet but he wanted to put 15 grand he's probably now counting his lucky stars that he didn't take it but he wanted to bet 15 grand on Radiohead doing the Bond theme and if the bookmaker had taken that bet he would have been down a lot of money but yes uh, over Christmas Christmas Day Tom York and Radiohead released their prospective theme for Spectre and then within about an hour wily people on the internet had put it over the opening titles of Spectre and fit almost perfectly what did we think of it? Did we hear it? In, and is it better than Sam Smith? Yes. I mean, I started listening to it and got a bit bored, to be honest. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't particularly love the Sam Smith one either, in my defence, but, you know. I, I, did, I did put it on. I had it on for, like, like two minutes and nothing had happened except a noise, and I got a bit bored. And it wasn't up. just a noise. There, was some, there, was there some wasn't a melody. I like on. a melody. There weren't enough, honestly, there weren't enough beeps and bleeps. Ugh. There were there were more than enough for me. They were trying to be a bit more lush and orchestral, yeah, and sweeping and a bit more a bit more splendor, magnificence than than they have done recently. I would say, sure. But, but Helen is not in. The, you're on this, you, you would choose the Sam Smith monstrosity over. I wouldn't. I, d- I just said I wouldn't. I didn't wouldn't? like it either, okay. particularly. But it was all right. I li- I liked it more when I heard it in the film, the Sam Smith one. Maybe I just need to see some girls writhing over the Radiohead one to really get the full effect. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to it. I thought it was perfectly serviceable. I, I think I would agree with Chris that I probably would have rather had it over the opening credits than the, the Sam Smith film, the Sam Smith version, which honestly I think I pretty much forget as I'm hearing it. So yeah, um, I, 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 I think it was quite brave of them to do it to, to actually put it out there to say, hey, they asked us to do it, and we did one, and they didn't use it, and now here mm. it is for the world. I think that's a nice idea. It, it, it's yeah. kind of Bondy, but it's not Bondy. You can see why they didn't go for it, and obviously Sam Smith has, weirdly enough, bigger commercial appeal than Radiohead now. So you can see why they went for Sam Smith. But I, I kind of feel, honestly, that it, it's fine, it's good, but I thought both that and the Sam Smith song didn't quite push all the, the Bondy buttons for me. But Are you saying they should have just got Adele to come back and do another one? Or just, you know... John Cage could have done it. A bit of silence. Just a silent credit sequence would have been interesting. Yes, uh, yes an experimental Bond film yeah. with a silent credit sequence. On board! Other things that happened over uh, Christmas. The Force Awakens became the juggernaut yeah. that I think a lot of people expected it to be, but also a lot of people were surprised by. Because uh, you know, we had a thing in Empire uh, a month before it came out where I asked three box office prognosticators such a thing does exist um, to put their money where their mouth is uh, mouths are mouths were mouth put some mo- anyway they had some money in mouths and uh, they all predicted what they thought the Force Awakens would make and only one of them said two billion really? yeah so what only did the one others of them, say? Ian Sandwell I believe it was uh-huh. said two billion the other ones went under two billion uh, 1.5 uh, you know it, it'll probably make a billion so it won't be seen as a failure I don't think it's seen as a failure somehow it's not now. seen as a failure it's but, currently yeah, number it's four on the old time list unadjusted for inflation don't start <laughs> writing in for God's sake so that means it's t- overtaken both Avengers uh, Furious 7 the final Harry Potter Frozen Iron Man 3 which round out the top 10 uh, it's very close to overtaking Jurassic World we can Jurassic expect World. it to do that in the near future it's certain to do that then yeah you no know, it is mathematically certain to do that yeah. um, then it's a question of how fast it overtakes 
or whether it overtakes Titanic. I think it's likely to overtake Titanic, although not certain. It depends on how it holds up, uh, how its legs hold up in in the US and, and Europe, and then. Uh, how big it opens in China. Um, remember, I think the record there at the moment is uh, the last Transformers, which made, I think, something like 330 million in China. Mm-hmm. You know, if it makes that much or more, then, then yes. we're in for some interesting times. China alone was responsible for me losing a bet to Nick Dissemblian about Transformers <laughs> uh, 4's global box office. Yes, it was. It, uh, China alone pushed it over the billion mark. It did. I'm so I'm still so sorry about that, Chris. Um, but uh, it, you know, so it's it's I think likely to overtake Titanic. I don't know that it's going to take overtake Avatar. It will depend yes. what kind of legs it shows. But in terms of the US alone, it is now number one. It is now number one. It has it's, overtaken Avatar in the US. Yes. Yeah. It's it's reception in America is phenomenal. It is already after about what three weeks? Not even three weeks. It is the number one film of all time in the states, which is some seven hundred and fifty million uh, or or change uh, which is astonishing yeah. and it's it's slowing down but not massively no, it's not I think it's nailed off a billion in the States I think it's is, looking pretty likely I mean it was what an 8 million Monday the other yeah I mean week, you know? if, it, if it hits a billion in the States then I have to make an apology to I don't know the guy's name but it was a guy who uh, like a, a Wall Street analyst who wrote a piece about a month and a half ago saying it was on course to make a billion in the States alone and I accused this person on Twitter of just pulling that figure out of his arse but my apologies to the person whose name I can't remember because uh, he seems to be uh, on the money which is why he's a high paid Wall Street analyst and I'm in a grey room with grey people oh hey, I'm wearing Doing red a- oh yeah that's true <laughs> I'm wearing grey uh, anyway uh, other news <laughs> other news but it, it's, it's exciting and it's, it's made 50% of its box office in the States which uh, for a movie this size is unusual that and will change with China but that yes. will change but also the, the same box office prognosticators who said it wouldn't make 2 billion are also now saying it probably won't beat Avatar which is phenomenal if you think about it this is a 7 year old movie now Avatar and it's still maybe going to be by some distance the number one film of all time I'm in, I mean I, I can't call it because if it starts to display legs by this point if it's run and they say it's like 3-4 weeks in Avatar was still clocking in 50-60 million dollar weekends hmm. Can Star Wars do the same thing around the world as well? I don't. Know. We'll we'll see. We'll yeah. find out. It's, at this point, it's about how slowly it tails off. Not you know, not it's it's absolute figures. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and of course, to uh, Gareth Edwards, who is uh, who's doing Rogue One, and <laughs> Ryan Johnson, who is making the next uh, instalment of the main Star Wars thing. No pressure, guys. <laughs> it's it's got to be good news for them because it's got it gives you a bigger base, I guess, to start from. But a star killer yeah. base. A star killer base. I, you do wonder at this point whether Hollywood is, you know, for years they've been looking at the Marvel model and trying to copy that. Now they're going to just copy the Star Wars model and just rename every film Star Wars. You know, <laughs> would you go and see Quentin Tarantino's Star Wars, The Hateful Eight? Something has made four billion. We'll get to this when we discuss Hateful Eight, but I would actually like to see Quentin work with somebody else's stuff. Oh, yeah. Ooh, little little preview there of, of Ellen's review. Okay, so other things happened as well. Uh, Michael Bay said he's going to do Transformers Five. Isn't this what he always does? He says, "I'm not going to do the next one," and then and then a year later he says, "I'm going to do the next one." Yeah, that seems to be the case. And <laughs> we've spent about as much time on that as it deserves. Uh, Christopher Nolan uh, has announced his next film, and it's exciting. It's interesting, certainly. It's about Dunkirk. Mm. Yeah, which is which is. I mean, I feel like I've seen it in that one shot in Atonement and or Mrs. Miniver. But I am, I am. Yeah, that that is an intriguing subject for him. It's interesting to see him go sort of historical again after uh, 
The Prestige. It is. I think it was his last uh, really historical one, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and and he has uh, apparently the plan is for the main roles to be taken by unknown people, and then he has uh, well, this is a nice list here: Mark Rylance, Kenneth Branagh, and a certain young whippersnapper called Tom Hardy, all in talks to uh, take roles in the film as more sort of like supporting, but but that cast. So kind of a thin red line almost approach with the bigger mm-hmm. stars and the more senior positions interesting yeah tom hardy's gonna be uh, having a really great time until he realizes he's been cut out but no, <laughs> he'll be fine he won't be angry he's never angry at anything he'll, he'll deliver all his lines through a gas mask um yeah i'm intrigued it doesn't seem as automatically high concept to me as interstellar or um inception that might be a good thing yeah um, and seeing whether he can mount something because a lot of people have uh, issues with how he does action and you'd imagine that a Dunkirk movie which is about the the greatest withdrawal of Allied forces in history a, a, a noble and heroic withdrawal that, uh, that in case you don't know what Dunkirk is Yeah, the Br- yeah. British Expeditionary Force were basically being routed across France by the invading Nazis and were mm-hmm. basically backed up against the sea mm-hmm. and were, were fighting a desperate action to hold on there while basically every ship in England, mm-hmm. and most of the UK in fact, uh, sailed across the channel repeatedly trying to rescue them, down to little pleasure craft, yeah. picking up you know six or seven people at a time. So yeah, as you know, massive defeats go, it's a pretty heroic one, I yeah. guess. Phenomenal story, and um, we look forward to seeing how that one pans out. Uh, any other news? Um, well, just today there was news that um, Disney uh, is planning another one of their sort of live action adaptations of their cartoons. And this is one that actually has been a live action film already. The story goes that they are developing a live action 101 Dalmatians spin-off. So not another 101 Dalmatians called Cruella de Vil. So presumably this is going to be like a Maleficent style, you know, reassessment of a woman who kills puppies for coats. And they want the intensely likable <laughs> Emma Stone as Cruella. Uh-huh. Who takes a look at that face and says, you know what? She looks like a Cruella. Having said that, I think it's genius, genius casting. I think she'll be really, really fun. And uh, she's only in talks. It hasn't been confirmed yet. But she she's just so funny that I can see her having an absolute ball just completely being let off the chain mm. and being Cruella de Vil. You're right, though. As long as they don't try and soften the rough edges of Cruella <laughs> de Vil, this, this evil woman whose name literally means cruel devil. Yes. Um, <laughs> and as you rightly say, who wants to murder puppies so she can wear a coat. I mean, that's you know, they tried to, with Maleficent to go, oh, she wasn't that bad. Yeah. And there were reasons. There were reasons. I mean, yes, she wanted to kill a baby, but, she, you know, she was having a bad day. So similar, I guess, here. Cruella's probably just going to have a bad childhood. Maybe she gets bitten by a dog when she was young. Maybe (laughs) that's what spurs it. I mean, there could be any reason. Yeah. So, uh, I I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, Kelly Marcel, uh, who wrote Saving Mr. Banks and Fifty Shades of Grey, although we can't hold that against her because most of the bad bits came from the book, um, (laughs) is is writing the latest draft of the screenplay. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what she comes up with. I, I wonder also if they'll keep the chain smoking. Uh, which is obviously now a quite controversial issue and, and is unlikely to be seen in a kid's film. Maybe maybe she'll be vaping. 
all the way maybe through the film. She, genuinely, maybe <laughs> she will. Uh, so that's, yeah, that, that was a story that caught my eye, just because it seems a bit odd. Uh, also this morning, they revealed that Fast and Furious 8, woohoo, a thing that is really happening, um, is hoping to shoot in Cuba. Because now, you know, the, some of the, the sort of blockades, not the blockades, that's wrong, the trade restrictions have come, have come yeah. down. So, that's you know, feasible now. Yeah, they've done most of the rest of South and Central America. Why not? Plus, you send you send the rock down there to shake a few hands. Everyone's like, yeah, please come and shoot here. We love you all. So exactly. I can see that happening. Uh, ben Mendelsohn's in talks to play the bad guy in Steven Spielberg's uh, Ready Player One. Interesting. Which is a book I haven't read, but I believe you have, Helen, having read every book in Christendom. Do you know what? That's on my list. I haven't read it you yet. You haven't, haven't read, read it. it. It's no. really good. Oh, Blanco. James has, though. I have read it. Yes, and, and it is it is magnificent. It's it's That's interesting. I've heard otherwise. Really? I've heard otherwise. I, I thought it was fantastic. It's, it's if you don't know the story, it's basically the idea that this uh, incredibly wealthy Steve Jobs-esque sort of game creator guy uh, dies and leaves a load of clues behind in a massive online world, this sort of second lifestyle thing for people to find clues to basically inherit his fortune. And so we have a young man uh, who's always sort of, he has a bad childhood. He's been living in the online world an awful lot. And he's one of the people who tries to go and sort of get this prize. And there are some dreadful, dreadful government slash corporate type people who try and stop him. And it sort of takes place primarily in this virtual world where you can become a sort of your own avatar. You can do all sorts of things. And there are various challenges along the way that you have to go through to try and win this this big prize. And uh, yeah, in Spielberg's hands, it could be absolutely astounding. And mm-hmm. Mendelssohn could be fantastic as a villain. It says he'll play an executive for an internet corporation that has designs on Oasis. Oasis is the name of the uh, the giant virtual world. Basically, if you inherit... The, uh, the 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 keys to the kingdom, essentially the keys to the virtual kingdom, which has essentially become where everything happens, commerce. It's the internet, but writ much larger. Okay, nothing to do with the Gallagher brothers, then. No. Excellent. Should we have a guest? Let's do it. Our first guest of the year, David o. Russell, has been one of the finest directors in America for a while. He burst on the scene with Spanking the Monkey, Flirting with Disaster. Three Kings. Recently, he's made films like The Fighter, and of course, his most recent movies have seen him team up with Jennifer Lawrence uh, for Silver Linings Playbook, for which he won an Oscar, American Hustle, for which he was nominated for an Oscar, and now Joy, for which he will probably be nominated for another Oscar. Um, that came out last week in the UK. We sent John Jr. Nugent along to speak to David O. Russell, and when he came into London just before Christmas, enjoy this interview. I, it's very good. David O. Russell, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. We're here to talk about Joy. Uh, this, this feels like a very American movie. There's a sort of entrepreneurial spirit to it. There's a sense of anyone can make it. Do you, do you feel like this is your sort of take on the American dream? To some extent. It, it, it also harkens to me back to um, films that I love about someone who... Uh, I'd never seen this story with a woman, so to speak. I'd seen, you know, where she creates a family business, she's the quiet one, and she becomes a fierce power, um, but also very benevolent. And I felt that that was very cool to me. 
And obviously Jennifer Lawrence is in the lead. This is your third film with Jennifer Lawrence. And I think she said recently, you and her will never, ever, ever not do movies together. That's a that's verbatim. Have, have you agreed to this contract? Well, I think whenever you hear something like that, you should knock on wood just for good, good <laughs> luck. Because uh, I, I, I think it's a blessing that uh, I think we have a good kindred spirits. And uh, I think there's, you know, we can cycle back to each other. That's a lovely thing to have with a collaborator who is willing to take risks. And I, you know, so that's a, that's a blessing, I think. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, we'll each go off and work with other people, but I think it is nice to come back and take chances together. In this case, you know, we, it was offered to both of us and, um, we said, well, gee, do we want to, what do we think about this? And we examined it together. And she said, uh, well, we'll only do it if we can do it as David and I would do it. So first we needed the blessing of the actual Joy Mangano. And she said, yes, I trust you. You're going to make it your own cinematic fable and you're going to make it as much of it fiction as you like. And um, I said, wouldn't it be cool, Jen, if we started out really with a lifespan story? You begin from a little girl, you see what's in the little girl's soul. What does the emotion joy mean when you're a kid um, and it's pure and you're inventing stuff in your room? What does it mean when you have the euphoria of falling in love and you're older and you get married? What does it mean then when you get divorced and you suddenly single mother of two and you're working at an airline and behind a desk and you've, where's the music of your childhood? Um, are you able to recover that? So these are themes I've wanted to do for a long time and to have a lot of enchantment in the movie the this the the specificity of the family the the family that's got de niro and and um edgar ramirez i loved her speaking spanish and you know so many wonderful actors taking different chances isabella rosalini as the girlfriend mm. banker of de niro based on truth who makes the whole endeavor possible if you're you know from a middle-class family and you want to try something you need someone to take a chance on you and Isabella Rosalini was sort of scary like she was in Blue Velvet but also sort of sort of beautiful and charming and continental and all yeah. that yeah you mentioned the real Joy Manjano um, mm -hmm. how, how heavily involved was she in the making of this film did she contribute to the development of the script or, or was she on set at all we did not have her on set you know I learned I made a film called The Fighter and it's very interesting when you work with people whose real lives you're dealing with in part even if you fictionalize it um, it's just a very personal thing and you don't want to you don't want to hit a nerve with them or with you don't want to inhibit the creators you don't want I don't want so Joy and I spoke on the phone for probably a hundred hours and I found out some of the some of the more fascinating details of the story are real how much of Virginia Madsen's character is real because she often steals the show when she's on screen. I mean, she's, she's amazing. How much of that is real and how much is that sort of your own invention? Well, the, the boilerplate of all the characters is based on what happened in Joy's family. Well, they started out with a magical childhood, as many people do, and then it started to hit rough, rough times. And uh, the mother was a very f quieter person who sort of hid from the world, and that's true. Um, she did watch soap operas, and I seized upon that because I think soap operas for a filmmaker are sort of amazing, you know, especially if you're going to do them over four decades. You had to shoot these uh, soap operas yourself. Uh, like, What was that experience like? Because I understand you used real life soap actors. In America, icons of soaps. You know, yeah. um, the fact that the mother was herself a gentle creature who was able to 
look up to fierce women on in a, in a story on television was was uh, kind of beautiful to Jennifer and I, and and it was true. It was true of many people in my family and elsewhere. They they can be inspired by fierce people if they can't be one themselves, and that's part of a little the kid's story too. When she starts out in life, that who's going to become this person who's going to lead her family and carry them with her. You know, so you know, so shooting the soap operas was sort of amazing, and then you have a dream, a dream life, and those and those actors, those soap actors are extraordinary. They're creatures who, they were on nighttime soaps like Dynasty and Dallas that were iconic in the eighties. They were also on the daytime soaps, Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, and uh, Virginia Madsen transforms herself and has never looked like this creature she's playing as the mother. And um, she truly knew the stories in real life. She just happened to know them because she watched them a lot. And in those soaps, you feel like you've crossed into another little magical world that's part of this girl's mind who then becomes a young woman. In those soaps, you know, I feel like great literature, whether it's Dickens or uh, Russian literature, is has their serials, they have... The feeling of uh, uh, ghosts, there can be ghosts, there can be murders, there can be great emotional risks taken in a soap opera. So I, so I just thought that was cool, that, that that kind of drama, that you might be living in an emotional way in your home, in a soap opera is very acted out in a melodramatic way, but it's very quiet inside yourself in your home. So it was like a little comic book of Joy's life that was hovering around her head. As you say, the sort of soap operas take a, a big role in the first part of the film, and then uh, QVC becomes a big part of the film as well. Ironically, she becomes a woman in a magical, brightly lit soap yeah. opera, uh, uh, television world. Yeah. Which is not, again, we're not talking about high-end television or high-end, but I love treating that like, I love treating regular, ordinary lives, finding the extraordinary in them. That's magical to me. That's part of why I go to the cinema. That's part of why I love movies. And I love treating these soap operas or the QVC world, not cynically, but sort of with great sincerity and beauty, because that's what it was to the people who were doing it. To them, it was their, their MGM, their, their, their great studio, their magic factory. Uh, Bradley Cooper's called compared the movie to the Odyssey because she gets handed off from this metal garage world of her mother to this place in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a little cable station um, where Bradley Cooper is running his his little cinema empire as this shopping network. And he's he's almost like a conductor of an orchestra when he's mm. sort of overseeing QVC. Do you find any parallels with your own directing style? Do you feel like a conductor? Isabella Rossellini, uh, whose father was the great Roberto Rossellini, um, a filmmaker, she said that they, in, all, in Italy, that she, so she made that comparison. She said that mm. she felt her father was a conductor because in Italy they would never shoot sync sound. Right. It was always uh, silent. And then they would, Fellini was her father's assistant. Wow. Which is crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So Fellini and those guys would shoot all those Italian films, even the great ones, when you look at them, they're all dubbed. But so then the director could speak during the takes, mm. and he's in it with, the, with Marcello Mastriani, and, and they're creating this magic together. We have some degree of that on our sets. Uh, of course, it's scripted carefully, and then you can change it a little bit as we're doing it. Cooper will be a filmmaker, I think. He's got great collaborative passion and um, vision, He's got a lot of energy, and he would be meticulous about camera angles. 
his mother was our unofficial consultant because she actually watched this shopping channel and had favorite spokesmodels. That, that, and I said, why, Gloria? And she explained to me that they, this one was the funniest one. And this one was the one that kept her up all night and she liked. So we modeled them after that. Did you get to watch any QVC for research? Were you ever tempted by any of the sales pitches? You know, I remember always being, when I was um, younger, I'd watch late at night, but I'd always bungle the ordering of it because mm. I was not very good with that. Um, but I but I do have a, a great toiletry kit that was designed. You know, very often you're watching one of these things, you're like, damn, that's good. And um, I like that they're things that are not virtual things. They're actual things that are, can be well-made that, that you can use in your hands. So, I mean, Cooper had these things. His mother, brought, his mother got him these things that he brought with him to school with him. A man of your talents can avoid soap operas and, and uh, home shopping, but would you ever consider directing television? I mean, it, it is a sort of golden age of television at the moment. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I think if you find the right beautiful world that you can explore on a big scale, I think then it's worthwhile. I think uh, what Scorsese is doing with vinyl, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about that. You know, that's a series he's doing with Robbie Robertson about the record business. It feels like a cousin of American Hustle. It just seems really big and fun. Um, if you find the right, the right, I did love all the soap actors. I felt like I could have made a movie with them. It has to be the right idea that you want to explore for a long time. We'll have to see, you know, because television, I don't know how it is here in England, but uh, it's it's very tricky over there um, to, to find your way in and hold your audience. There is an amazing soundtrack on this film, as there is with, with all of your films. How How do you approach music do you sort of listen to a, a song and then the scene forms in your mind or does it work the, the other way around like what's your process i would say it's at least 60 percent the former okay meaning i have a piece of music i've been sitting on for many years and waiting to use cinematically and then i write to that scene and then about 40 percent of the time we find it in post when we're editing um there's pieces of music in this movie that we shot to beat for beat. One of them is the Nat King Cole piece where he says this amazing rarity of him with a speaking introduction, which is like a movie itself about snow and Christmas and homes with love in them. And I just used it to shoot this moment after she's sort of had to make her bones almost by becoming a fiercer gangster in a way. There's this piece of music that unfolds beat for beat as she's having kind of a gentle moment after her victory of recalling her childhood looking into a toy store window and fake snow starts to fall from a machine above the toy store. And it's just a very beautiful moment for me of what it means when you have some of the innocence of your childhood as a memory that's beautiful, yet you have sort of the toughness and the fierceness and some of the contentment of of breaking through in the grown-up world but it's a very different kind of joy than your earlier joy in your life. It has some scars on it, but she's held on to some of that magic from her childhood. I think that's all we've got time for, but David O'Russell, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Empire. Thank you. (laughs) Well, that was David O'Russell talking to John Nugent. I hope you were in... Chris. Stop it. Reviews time now. Um, First up... It's the eighth movie from Quentin Tarantino. If you don't count four rooms and if you don't put Kill Bills into one uh, big lump, as indeed Blanco wanted to do, why would you do that? Because they can be considered one. But they're part one and part two. Oh. Why can't you do that? He, it, it, there's the whole, what is it, the whole cut or something. There is a version of it that is the two of them all together. 
Yes, there is. Yes, but there's nothing wrong with that. But but then does that count as another movie on its own? I, I not it's, sure. It's all a bit tricky. But the eighth movie by Quentin Tarantino, which has the word eight in the title and comes out here on January eighth. Almost like they planned it, uh, is of course the hateful eight. Uh, it was the subject of some controversy this week with uh, Cineworld pulling out of a deal, which at the moment still still seems to be happening. They mm. still seem to pull out the deal to show it in this country, which is uh, intriguing. A uh, little bit of brinkmanship going on between cinema chains over here, which will restrict the uh, the capacity of of readers to see it, which is a bit of a shame. But if you can find a cinema showing the hateful eight. Is it worth it? Now, Helen, there was one yeah. screening of this movie. Uh, to my knowledge, <laughs> there was one screening of this movie because it was shot in ultra 70 millimeter, yeah. which is a very, very uh, rare, prestigious and expensive format to shoot movies on and also to show them in. Uh, and I believe there's only one cinema in London, which is the Odeon Leicester Square, which is equipped to show The Hateful Eight uh, the way that Quentin Tarantino wants it to be seen. Um, it, I don't know if it's just just that one but certainly that's where I saw yeah. it at the premiere in proper 70mm and I mean look looks wise this film is absolutely glorious it's kind of interesting that they chose 70mm for this because it does take place almost entirely inside mm. even when it's outside what you're mostly seeing are interior shots of the stagecoach. I do wonder, I, you know, obviously having not seen the film, yeah. but I do wonder if Quentin Tarantino, who is one of the, the great defenders of shooting on film, yeah. is almost doing this to now make a point. I, I It did occur to me, yes. Um, and I think that, you know, there is an element where we shouldn't lose these formats. Apparently, you know, they were using lenses during shooting and, and they'd be saying, well, this one was used on Lawrence of Arabia, this one was used on mm. by Hitchcock, this one was used by whoever, um, which is kind of mind-blowing. And, and there's a, a great link to cinema past. And, and honestly, this this film is is just replete with references and homages to uh, great westerns and great other films, but mostly westerns of the past. Because this is his first true western. If Django was a southern, as yeah, we're told. yeah. I mean, Inglorious Bastards had Semantics. western elements as well, yeah. but this one is inarguably, definitely. A western takes place after the Civil War. <laughs> um, uh, features a lot of characters who have messy, mucky history in the Civil War, which may or may not come into play. Um, and it starts with uh, a stagecoach going through this incredible snowy landscape with these shot with these incredible lenses. Uh, and on board are Kurt Russell's John Ruth mm-hmm. and his prisoner, Daisy, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. I was about to say Jennifer Scott Lee, and I'm like, no, that's wrong. Jennifer <laughs> Jason Lee. And they stop because in the middle of the road are three frozen dead bodies and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, as Marcus Warren, which is um, how most people meet Samuel L. Jackson yeah. in real life. He, he just he'll he'll stop traffic that way. Uh, he needs a lift to the, to the town. These three. He is also a bounty hunter like Kurt Russell. He needs uh, trans- transport for these three bodies and himself to the nearest town. His horse having died, uh, they reluctantly take him on board. It turns out that he and Ruth slightly know each other. A, a brilliant Tarantino-esque conversation begins between them. They then pick up another weary traveller lost on the road, uh, a newly minted sheriff played by Walton Goggins, and proceed onwards to Minnie's Haberdashery, uh, the obviously named setting for pretty much all that follows. Minnie's Haberdashery. It just it just reeks, doesn't it, of, of manly men and 
and gunfights. Mm. And also it like explains, the okay one corral. The, explains why the movie is over three hours long, because if you set a movie in the haberdashers, you're not going to run out of material. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <sighs> you actually just said that. That's amazing. Anyway, so yeah, they, they meet uh, new characters there, including those played by Michael Madsen, Bruce Dern, Tim Roth. Um, I don't want to give you everybody's backstory, because much of the joy of the film is how these backstories kind of unfurl and unfold. Yeah. Um, it's fair to say, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say, that everybody has secrets which come into play and come into the open. There is a stunning amount of bloodshed, <laughs> like some real gore, even by Tarantino standards. There's there's a couple of bits here where you're like, whoa, that is really bloody. Whoa. Okay. And there's also quite a lot of Kurt Russell's Ruth just casually backhanding uh, Daisy Domergue, uh, just just Ooh. slapping her around. Uh, and, and the thing is that, you know, while you're kind of on her side, she isn't a nice person either. So there are no good guys it's here. It's the hateful eight. I, it is I, the I'm hateful eight, yes. Finding a good guy in this. It's not like Reservoir Dogs where gradually sympathetic characteristics yeah. emerged and obviously Mr. Orange's backstory was revealed and you, you began to root for people. This, I'm guessing, is not like that. No, there are moments where you root... Because I think you'd be very, very bored if, if you couldn't root for anyone ever. There's yeah. always somebody that you think is less awful. Sometimes you're <laughs> wrong. That's the thing. Sometimes you're wrong. Okay. But, you know, at various points, uh, Ruth and Warren seem like better guys than some of the rest. Mm. Uh, Madsen seems like a better guy than some of the rest at some points. If you're in a film so, and Michael Madsen seems like the best person in it, then what the <laughs> hell? It's right there in the title, man. It's hateful. It's, it's right. So overall, right, it looks stunning. I have no complaints about the looks. Tarantino's, the rhythms of his dialogue and, and the sort of chewiness of his lines... I, I still love. My issue with it um, is I don't think he's in any way developing particularly as a filmmaker. I don't think he's really pushing himself. I don't mm. think he's changing what he does. Maybe he doesn't have to. And, and for his fans, obviously, he doesn't. But he's not... There, there, is a, there is a moment here that echoes Christopher Walken's watch speech way back in Pulp Fiction. Mm. And, mm. and, you know, shouldn't you have in, you know, nearly 20 years changed somewhat and, and be pushing for something else and there, that that moment in particular was a real disappointment for me because I thought that could have been a really emotional heavy tough moment and he can't help but sort of try to add this kind of scatological element uh, yeah, which for me juvenile about yeah that, it's yeah. that it's that it's that intention to shock rather than to really deep down provoke okay. that I think limits him uh, for me as a filmmaker but Every, you know everything else I thought was was pretty great that's interesting I mean, I, again full disclosure I haven't seen the film I'm yeah. massively excited about it how can I not be excited about a film with this cast such a great cast and I'm a huge fan of Tarantino but you're right I mean I, I think uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that dismayed me most and there's a reason why Death Proof I think is at the bottom of all of our lists is that around that time when he hooked up with Robert Rodriguez uh, for Planet Terror and Grindhouse and Death Proof I, I, I got a little bit saddened I'll be honest a little bit disheartened um you know, and that here was a guy who I thought was now making movies only for himself. Mm. And Rodriguez is like that as well. I don't think Rodriguez has grown a, a one iota as a filmmaker over the last uh, twenty years, whatever it is, since he since he came on the scene. But I think in Glorious Bastards and Elements of Django Unchained, 
showed an evolution, showed you know, that he was growing. He can do better. And that's why I would almost like to see him work just once. I'm not saying he has to do all his films this way, but like I would like to see him do a Bond movie or a Marvel movie or do something in mm. a system that he has to work with and adapt to because I think he would come out the other side a better filmmaker. I think sometimes if you are just writing and directing yourself, you know, it's a long time since Jackie Brown and everything since then has just been purely his and I would like to see him collaborate a bit I think that might you know get some new ideas flowing change some things up um, because he is a hell of a filmmaker he, you know he, he absolutely knows cinema inside out and backwards mm. um, I, I just feel like he just could that's why I'm, I'm frustrated that I don't feel like he's innovating in his own work as mm. much as I think he could but the, the fact is new but, Quentin Tarantino yeah. amazing cast three and a half three hours 17 minutes long with a 20 minute intermission yes. and a new Ennio Morricone score we gave it four stars and also elements by the way of uh, of John Carpenter and, and yeah. other I mean really interesting brilliant use of other scores in here actually which, I, which really I loved because uh, I'm not probably shouldn't give too much away but when I first saw the trailer and I've actually stayed away from this movie I, I, I you know the, the script was out there the, the, the movie uh, began in really interesting fashion if you know the history of The Hateful Eight it started as a script that uh, Tarantino wrote and he gave to his cast because he chose his cast in advance and then somehow it leaked uh, leaked on the internet and Tarantino, in a fit of uh, understandable peak, said, well, I'm not going to make this movie anymore because now it's out there. And then he came around and he softened on it. He changed it slightly. And they had a live reading of the script in L.A. Uh, about two years ago now, yeah. I'd say, with pretty much, I think, the same cast. More or less. Almost, I think, yeah. yeah. And then he fiddled with it a little bit more. So, if you know, I didn't read the original script. I don't read things when they leak online. But I've gone at this movie completely cold. I know nothing about what happens. I know nothing about the characters. But I did see the first trailer. And in the first trailer, it's in a snowy landscape. It's a group of people being paranoid in one location. And it has Kurt Russell in it. And at one point <laughs> in the trailer, he says, none of these people are what they seem. And I'm just thinking to myself, hang on. Is Tarantino remaking the thing <laughs> with Kurt Russell potentially as the thing? That would be amazing. Or if, if somehow John Ruth was in some way... Our Jamie McCready's great grandfather that would be astonishing but I haven't seen the film I don't know what I think uh, whether how that turns out but uh, four per- star personally headcanon he is definitely related to RJ McCready okay but but that's complete headcanon it has nothing to do with anything in the film <laughs> okay I'm writing the, the, the fan fiction <laughs> as we speak four stars four stars four definitely. stars for The Hateful Eight uh, do go and see it if you can find a cinema showing it uh, good luck with that. Uh, let's talk about some movies that came out over the Christmas holidays, mm-hmm. uh, which people may uh, probably have seen. Uh, the little film called Star Wars The Force Awakens. No, we've covered that. Uh, if you haven't listened to our spoiler special, in which we get Captain Eater's fate horribly wrong, all the rest of it's good. Uh, it's also got Lawrence Kasdan there talking about the film a little bit. Uh, so I uh, do check that one out. But films came out over the Christmas period. Uh, David Russell's been on the podcast this week. Uh, what can we say about Joy? Yeah, Joy is his latest collaboration with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, it's based, it's not completely 100% authentic, but it's based on the life of a, an American woman called Joy Mangiano, who uh, was a struggling single mother with a lot of good ideas, who ended up inventing a product called the Miracle Mop which is essentially a self-ringing mop. It's a mop, it's sort of like a plastic bit that rings the mop section out and and makes life easier for people who are mopping. So David O. Russell has essentially taken this idea and and built a very similar story around a woman called Joy 
who has a very sort of chaotic family life. Her parents are divorced. Uh, her father, played by Robert De Niro, is off with girlfriends. But as the film starts, he's essentially dumped back at the family home by the latest girlfriend who simply can't put up with him. And we did a very funny little scene. And her mother is played by Virginia Madsen. She also has a uh, stepsister, played by Elizabeth Rome, who is envious of anything that she does. She's basically just there to be snarky and come in. She's the general hux of the film, essentially. <laughs> so Joy has uh, an ex-husband, played by Edgar Ramirez, who is sitting in the basement. He lives in the basement of the family home. She uh -huh. has two kids she has to look after. And it's her story of basically just trying to convince people that she has all these ideas, that she can actually contribute to the world and make some money because she's struggling and, you know, mm -hmm. it's a difficult life. And so eventually she manages to convince the fledgling QVC, the shopping channel in the States, with an executive played by Mr. Bradley Cooper, who, of mm -hmm. course, she, you know, appears with on, on screen a fair amount, and, uh, and basically convinces them to give her a shot on, with, the, with the Miracle Mop. And, uh, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. The rest is history. Mm. Indeed. So Jennifer Lawrence is 25. She is. And in American Hustle, she played someone who was, let's be generous here, 10 years older than Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, but she pulled it off because she has this incredible force of personality. And this is a movie about, it doesn't you know track through an entire life from birth to, from cradle to grave, but... There's a fair chunk of time. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say probably about 15, 20 years mm -hmm. maybe in her life. And and it sort of works. I mean, Lawrence, of course, is as ever wonderful. Uh, she sort of pulls off the, 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 the changes. It doesn't always seem like she's absolutely ageing the way you might hope she does. <laughs> I was reading but, something yesterday that said... I don't want to see Jennifer Lawrence play a 40-year-old again until 2030. <laughs> you know, and there's an element of, of that. Like, w with these three David O. Russell collaborations, y you have to wonder what age he thinks she is. Because you know, Silver Linings Playbook, <laughs> I was kind of, like, willing to allow it. I'm like, well, this is a character that, logically speaking, to have been married and widowed already would usually be played by someone slightly older. But isn't it interesting to, to show that a young woman could be, you know damaged and, and hurt in this way as well mm -hmm. by the loss of her husband. Okay, I'm with you. And then you got to American Hustle and you've got her husband, her, her presumably second partner, because she's got a, a child already when, when they get married, cheating on her with Amy Adams. And you're like, really? He's married to Jennifer Lawrence and, you know, with all that hair and he's cheating on her with... I mean, Amy Adams also looked fantastic in the but film. Also, but she's a terrible human being in American Hustle. You know, she, you know, she's entertaining for the audience, but she's a terrible human being. Well, so, so you, is he. I know, it's not like he deserves better here. Well, not, the film's not judging him in terms of whether he's... Maybe it should be. But what I'm saying is that Amy Adams in the film is not necessarily a terrible human being. So Why do we know we don't see her at why? home? Why? She's Amy Adams! Yeah, That's Jennifer it. Lawrence is... Like, no, no, no. Look, anyway, my point is... Anyway, we're reviewing Joy. Yeah. <laughs> I, awesome. I do believe she is slightly miscast in this role, and I think you would have more more pathos to it, actually, more if joy. you had a slightly more older actress. I'm going to ignore that, Chris. No, um, it was a good pun. <laughs> but it's, to be honest, this was all over the shop for me. There are almost kind of Lynchian elements, which are kind of... there's Her mom, mother is obsessed with a soap opera and just watches it 24-7 somehow. I'm not quite sure how that works. And... Um, <laughs> And and there's a moment where they're all in the soap opera and it's a sort of weird dream sequence. And you're like, okay, I'm int intrigued by this, but this this has nothing to do with the conventional biopic that's going on the rest of the time Indeed. here. And it, it seems to just disappear. 
Yeah. It, it, it's an element that's used briefly, doesn't seem to impact her life in any real meaningful way, and then it's just, just dropped. Yeah, it, I, I just, yeah, I wasn't, to be honest, I didn't love this at all. It's um, three stars. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, listen, there, there, are, there are good elements. There are enough good elements for it to be interesting. Mm. But I just came out thinking, what a wasted opportunity. And, and how, how interesting could it have been if it had been, you know, just better? I feel over the last few years that David Russell is really craving that Oscar. Yeah. And I do wonder if that is, I don't know, dulling his edge. I, I enjoyed the film. But, you know, it's, it's got good performances. The use of music is, is fine. It looks good. It doesn't always hang together, but I do wonder if he's pursuing it a little bit too much and dulling his, his edge. Mm. I don't think this is the same filmmaker who made uh, Third Amendment Disaster or The Brilliant Three Kings. No, I, I would. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to connect the two, to be honest. It, anyway, we give it three stars. Three stars for Joy. Uh, and I said for the first time in 2016, which we always in the podcast, three stars is a recommendation. <laughs> And we also gave three stars to Daddy's Home, which is the, the latest comedic reteaming of Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell uh, after The Other Guys, Adam McKay's The Other Guys, which came out in 2010. Uh, there they were buddies. In this one, they're not buddies. They're adversaries. <laughs> uh, Will Ferrell is a very, very careful stepfather. He is married to Linda Cardellini, the lovely Linda Cardellini. And then the, the, the real dad played by Mark Wahlberg comes in the scene and he's rock and roll and he's got abs and he rides a bike Gosh. he's dangerous and he's Mark Wahlberg what a guy and the two of them butt heads in a comedic <laughs> fashion and uh, you know I thought this was a pretty much straight down the middle Will Ferrell comedy much much better than Get Hard which yeah. came out last year not particularly difficult not particularly difficult this is true uh, did we give Get Hard one star? I think we gave it two stars. We definitely gave it two stars. It's not, it's not good. Uh, th- these guys have chemistry to burn. They're very, very funny together. I thought it was a bit obvious. One of the things that has is some really terrible slapstick in it. And I'm a little bit annoyed with Hollywood at the moment. Some Hollywood comedies are pushing the slapstick to illogical, uh, <laughs> I know this sounds really daft, but unrealistic levels. So, for example, in Neighbours or Bad Neighbours, as is known over here, there's a moment where Seth Rogen sits in his chair and oh, it, yes. the the the, um, the airbag uh-huh. the, the, the pranksters those merry pranksters have put an airbag in Seth Rogen's chair and he sits on his chair and it propels him up uh, into the ceiling of his office and A the CG's really bad and it's the same thing there's a, there's a moment here in Daddy's Home as well where the CG's equally terrible and someone takes a pratfall that's really dangerous and the CG's just awful And uh, but yeah you know there's part of me going yeah uh huh that would kill that person and uh, that just ruins the joke for me like Seth Rogen's spine would have been shattered he would never walk again after that happened um, and this, there's a moment here with Will Ferrell uh, as well where you're just kind of going and I know it's daft yeah, yeah. and I know it's a comedy but there has to be rules you establish rules in a universe so something the Step Brothers establishes the rules of that universe pretty well that these guys are essentially living cartoons and they can hit each other in the head with shovels and bury each other and it's and, and beds can collapse on them and it's all fine but this is a more realistic movie and then when you have why am I spending so much time on this get it. anyway three stars <laughs> daddy's home go and see it funny what next <laughs> what, what are we doing what are we doing did, did um, we do the Danish girl I think we did the Danish we, girl we, before Christmas actually we didn't do the Danish girl before Christmas we didn't do the Danish girl before Christmas came out on a uh, January 1st, the latest film from Tom Hooper starring Eddie Redmayne uh, chasing that second consecutive Oscar. Uh, <laughs> Scuttlebutt is he's not going to get it, but Alicia Vikander's in it as well. Hell's Bells. So yeah, this is the story uh, where Eddie Redmayne plays a person called... Well, first we're introduced to him 
as Einar uh, Wengener, but he is playing, in fact, the first transsexual woman to actually undergo gender confirmation surgery. This was back in the 19, 1920s, 1930s. And Einar, as, as Lily is known at the beginning of the film, is an artist in Denmark, mm-hmm. married to another artist, Gerda, who's played by Alicia Vikander. They're very much in love, mm-hmm. uh, crazy about each other. But she, at least, is finding trouble in her art career, really taking off. Um, she's told, you know, your, your portraits are good, but you need the right model, you need the right muse to really kind of lift you up a level and he is very successful but he's stuck painting the same landscape over and over and over again he can't seem to progress he can't seem to move on and and one day Einar puts on a dress in in at Gerda's request to to help her finish a, a, a body bit of a painting when her sitter doesn't turn up in time and and it, it sort of sparks something in the heart and it and it makes Einar in inverted commas realize that that actually that's not his true identity that's not her true identity that that he is really lily and so begins this this kind of really slow very painful evolution for for both of them not just not just for Eddie Redmayne's character because there is no language at the time to explain mm. what they're going through there is no vocabulary for it in the mainstream so you know it, people are telling Einar that he is schizophrenic people are telling him he's he's basically a psychopath that he needs to have shock therapy that you know all of these these really upsetting and and difficult medical treatments are attempted and, and none of them seem to help and then they go to Paris to try and get away from this and, and move on and Lily really begins to emerge and begins to sort of take over and and he begins to find that as a as a woman she has some kind of happiness mm. um but it's but it's interesting because the the title of the film refers to both uh, really both are the danish girl um of the title and Alicia Vikander as well you mean Alicia Vikander yeah. as well and both have to go on this journey to to accept Lily uh, into their lives and to to let her kind of emerge. So I mean, it's 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 an absolutely beautiful human story, I would say, and uh, and it's shot like a painting. It's absolutely gorgeously shot, and of course, both people are, are incredibly beautiful, which which doesn't hurt. It it's sometimes I think it's been criticised, and I think the reason it's slowing down in the Oscar race is that it's it's maybe too pretty, um, and it feels very Oscar-y. Uh, which you don't necessarily want to do in a, in a year where you're up against, you know, the much less Oscar-y feeling likes of Spotlight or even Mad Max. This one is a much more traditional kind of Oscar-type movie in that it is beautiful and gr- yeah. brilliant acting and and gorgeously put together and thoughtful and, you know, just quite lush. It's like there's a, an, a filter on Instagram called Oscar. <laughs> it is, yes. Click the you just press that, but but at the same time, it has this incredible tragedy at the heart of it, and just this this just astonishing human journey. I think, uh, which I think you know, if if you don't cry at this, you're going to be um, well. You're a harder woman than I. Indeed, four stars. Yeah, four stars then for the Danish girl. Now wrap up our roundup of what came out over Christmas and the New Year. Pretty much, other things are out there. You can go and seek them out, and that's it. Indeed. Yes. for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We won't be joined by Blanco. He's going back I to am. LA. Yes. When? Uh, well, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, I will already be back. Wow. wow. So, yeah, it's time travel. Again, TARDIS telling How you. How does this work? It's magic. It's, it's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get back? What am I going to do when I get back? I think I will probably buy some food because I have no food and I need food to eat. 
is what I'm going to do first. I thought you were going to say something exciting, like, I'm going to Disneyland. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping for, well, I'm going, I'm, I'm hanging out with Vin Diesel. We're going around his house. I'm going to hang out with Vin Diesel at his house where hopefully there is food. I still need food to eat. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure having you, Blanco, as always. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. It's always lovely to, you know, actually be on the Empire Podcast as opposed to just listening to the Empire Podcast and groaning at some of the jokes. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. But yes, don't, don't leave it too long. I, I promise. All right. So Blanco won't be on the show next week, but we will be joined by Alejandro G. Inaritu, the director of The Revenant. Thankfully, he will not be bringing an angry bear with him. At least, we don't think he will be, but you never know. You never know. Uh, until then, it's goodbye from Blanco. See you in 2017, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to see a film. Yeah? Not The Hateful Eight, oh. but I am off to see Avatar. Another... Right roughly 10,000 times because I made a bet with someone that Avatar would make more money than Star Wars and I'm worried about my investment. So I'm going to go and see it 10,000 more times so it'll make just enough money to beat Star Wars. How much is the bet for? Uh, Five pounds. Okay, we're going to go back in the office and we're going to sit down and talk about economics, Chris, okay? I don't know... What do you mean? I did economics at A level, Helen. I got a C. So was it home I economics? I don't think you need to talk to me about. I know, you know, no production possibility curves. Adam Smith. I know my stuff. All right. Okay. So don't don't woman explain <laughs> economics to me. It's all good. All, all right. right. I've all got right. it. Right. So how much do I need to go? Uh, anyway, um, I'm off to get a loan, and I uh, will see you guys next week. Bye. Re- the longest end of it. Re- return on investment, Chris. <laughs> return on investment.